Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Justin. Hi, I'm Justin, compulsive reader. <laughs> wow, I'm really nervous right now, which is interesting because um, I speak in front of people a lot, and I, I had a profession where I did that quite often, but this is quite different um, because, oh man, this, this program really has changed my life in this last year. Um, man, I'm usually not this serious, but I, I'm like, this is, this is, wow, let me, let me... <laughs> Let me qualify. Um, I came in a program in 2006, um, had a two and a half year relapse. Uh, I'm now a year, I have a current, my current abstinence is a year today um, out of my two and a half year relapse. Um, I, during that year, I've lost 130 pounds. I've reversed my diabetes. I'm completely and totally healthy. And I love my mother, so that's huge. So, you know, that's, that's me qualifying. Um, so, wow. So here we go. At the beginning, um, you know, my earliest memory of, of being a compulsive overeater was when I was five years old, visiting my grandparents in South Carolina. And my grandfather caught me um, eating a cheese sandwich in between the space between the refrigerator and the, ki- in the kitchen sink. And, um, you know, this was a man who at 15 in 1932, both of his parents were dead, and he had raised his four younger brothers and sisters in Bishopville, South Carolina. Um, so he had no concept of what I was doing. He was like, if you're hungry, eat, sit down, eat. What's, why are you hiding? And even at five years old, I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I didn't know why. Um, and, and I and also knew that my grandfather couldn't understand why I had to be eating. Um, and, you know, that was my earliest memory. And, you know, as a child, um, you know, it's interesting, my, my, my parents... My dad, when he was alive, was about five foot ten, two hundred and eighty pounds. My mother is six foot tall, one hundred and sixty pounds. And my mother was literally a beauty queen. She's like Miss Cotton, whatever, whatever. And I mean, yeah, she's a very beautiful woman. And I always kind of joke if I was born a girl, I would be stone cold crazy um, because that's who like the comparison was. And you know, as a child, when I would cry myself to sleep at night. Um, just from all the teasing that I get from school, my mother, doing the best she could, would try to you know, console me. And I'm like, woman, look at you. Nobody's ever, ever teased you about anything. Are you kidding me? Um, and she really honestly couldn't understand. She couldn't get you know, what I was going through because that, that wasn't her experience. Um, you know, I, I, I was a normal-sized kid until somewhere around the age of five I started eating. Um, and... You know, I really, I put on a lot of weight that year. I actually went to, I think when I was five years old, I was about 140 pounds. Um, when I was eight years old, I was 185. Uh, when I was 12, I was 220. When I was 14, I was 250. 17, well, 16, 300. 17, 320. And 320, 325, 330, that's about where I was, you know, senior year of high school into college. I, I played football. Um, I played high school football and college football, and it was interesting because, you know, in my mind, 
being fat was okay just so long as I could be fat and useful. You know, if I could be fat and doing something. Like, the people who were real losers were like the fat, lazy, sloppy people where, you know, their ass is hanging out of their pants and they can barely bend over without breaking a sweat. And, like, that, that was the craziness in my head. But I was okay because I could do things that, like, quote-unquote normal people couldn't do. Um, but the entire time I was doing this, I was playing sports and everything, I was eating like a madman. And really, I didn't know it at the time, but I was really practicing exercise bulimia. Um, you know, I, I ate... Oh, man, probably, well, at the height of my eating, and this is more into, like, my early 20s, but at the height of my eating, I ate probably 10,000 to 14,000 calories a day. Um, what that looks like for me, you know, most there are some people who are sugar addicts. I'm not a sugar addict, although I can eat sugar. Um, but I was more of, like, a greasy, fatty, fast food, you know, bags and bags of crap. And, um, you know, on a typical day, I would eat four quote-unquote meals from fast food places. And these meals would consist of several sandwiches, fries, nuggets, and then, of course, some sort of um, sugary dessert thing to kind of push me over the edge. And I would do that like four times a day, um, which, you know, and that's the other kind of miracle of this program is that today, you know, working this program, I, I eat about 3,500 calories a day. I mean, that's, that's 25% of what it used to look like. And it, and it still baffles me how just this morning, you know, I get up for breakfast and I take out a measuring cup and I measure a cup and a half of cereal, a cup of milk, I have a little six-ounce cup of yogurt and a piece of fruit, and I stand there in my kitchen and I eat it, and, I, and it just blows me away that I have no desire to go and just continue the rest of that cereal, to finish off the box, or... To, to, you know, to go out and just, just gorge myself some more. I mean, the, the thoughts are there. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm, not, I'm thinking about a pepperoni pizza right now. Um, yeah, you know, the thoughts are still there. But this program gives me the tools to not have to, you know, give in to every single thought and whim that I have, you know. Um, one big thing that I've learned in this program is that feelings aren't, aren't real. They pass. You know, they, they don't stay permanent. You know, whatever's going on right now will pass. Um, so, you know, a lot of it was this kind of physical stuff with my body, you know, and feeling like, you know, I definitely, as a, as a teenager or young adult, felt much, much larger than everybody else. And that's another part of the disease. You'll hear people talk about, um, you know, body dysmorphia. And I never, ever, ever was able to see myself the way I truly am. Um, and even now, I still really struggle with that on a daily basis. Uh, you know, I, I, it's funny because I look back at pictures of me in high school and feeling like I was just this huge, fat, like nobody, like I could be your friend because I would go above and beyond what a normal friend would do just to justify why I was good enough for you to be my, for me to be your friend. Um, but like dating, please forget about it. There was just no way that was going to happen. Um, and it's kind of funny because I, I was at a wedding earlier this year, and uh, a friend of mine at the, at the reception is a beautiful woman. She's beautiful in high school, and she's one of these people who actually gets beautiful as she gets more and more beautiful as she gets older. And she just turned to me at one point in the reception, and she was like, why didn't you ever ask me out in high school? And I was like, uh, 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 and, you know, this program teaches me, you know, rigorous honesty. I said, you know what? I was too wrapped up in my own craziness to even know that you liked me, you know? And that was the God's honest truth. I mean, I really did not feel good enough for other people. I really didn't. Um, so, you know, college, went on to college and 
more craziness, you know, playing football and really beating myself up. And I was only doing that because I really felt like my dad wanted me to, you know, he was proud of me and all that kind of stuff. And as a side, you know, kind of, I don't know, benefit, I, um, you know, I could basically eat what I want, and I did. You know, I mean, I went to the dining hall, breakfast, lunch, dinner, had two or three plates. You know, dining hall for me was like a real big social event. And I would sit with two or three different people. Like, people come, have their meal, and they leave. And I'd wait for the next group of people. But, of course, I was eating meals with all of these groups of people. Then I'd go out, you know, football practice, come from practice, eat two or three more plates, go back to my dorm room, and then probably order pizza or order Chinese food or, or something else. I mean, it was just, it was absolute insanity. Um, and so by my sophomore, by end of my sophomore year in college, I dislocated both my knees twice each. I couldn't really play football anymore. Um, and that's when I really started to gain the weight. You know, I, I went from, you know, I was 325, 330 pounds, you know, could run a mile in eight minutes, 15 seconds, could bench press my own weight and more, deadlift like 500 pounds. I could do all this stuff. But then once I couldn't do the physical stuff anymore, I, but I, I couldn't do the physical stuff anymore, but I could continue to eat. So I would just gain weight more and more. And the last time I weighed myself, really, that I can remember was, oh, I guess 1999 or maybe 2000, something like that. And I weighed about 380 pounds, maybe, 375, somewhere around there. Um, and that was the last time that I had, you know, weighed myself. So when I came to the program, well, I guess I just said how I came to the program. Um, oh, a lot of time. Um, my 2002, I was, I was teaching high school at my old high school back in Florida, uh, my first job out of college. And I was visiting my doctor, who, old family friend, he's been my doctor for 20 years. I used to babysit his kids. And, you know, he's like, yeah, it kind of looks like you're gaining weight. You know, you really need to get into one of those commercial food programs. He didn't say commercial food program, but we don't name the commercial food programs here. Um, he said, yeah, get into one of those commercial food programs, and, you know, you should probably join OA, too. Now, I'd never heard of OA. Um, but as soon as he said it, in my mind, I was like, fuck you, I don't need to do that. Are you crazy? There's no way I'm going to do that. I don't even know what it was. But I was like, I'm not doing that. Well, fast forward eight years later, what am I doing? <clears throat> uh, here I am. Um, you know, it, I, 2006, summer 2006, I'm skipping ahead three years because, you know, those three, four years, all I was doing was eating and eating and, you know, you know the story, I was just eating. Um, and you can see in the pictures of them kind of passing around just kind of, you know, the insanity of my mind telling me through, through those ten years from the last time I'd weighed myself of, oh, you know, you might have gained like 10 or 15 pounds, you might be 380, you might be three maybe 400, maybe, but that's like after dinner, okay, I'm like, all right, all right, it's, it's okay, it's not that bad, um, I moved to Los Angeles in 2000, July, no, June 2006, and I had a good month and a half of eating to do because I discovered this wonderful fast food restaurant y'all have out here that's open 24 hours a day, and they serve breakfast 24 hours a day, are you kidding me? Oh, it's like I discovered the Holy Grail or something, um, I, yeah, and, you know, what it was, it was July, towards the end of July, it was 3 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday night, I was watching a, um, I was watching a documentary about heroin addicts while I was eating a double quarter pound of cheese, and, yeah, 
I saw the parallel right then and there. Like, I mean, it slapped me in the face. I was like, wow, heroin? Double quarter pounder with cheese? Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, everything I saw them doing on TV, I had done to an extent. Some of it I'd done, I'd done exactly. I mean, maybe I didn't stab my crack-addicted girlfriend or something, but, I mean, they're shades. They're shades. Um, so, the next morning was my first meeting, Serenity Sunday. Um, and that first year and a half that I was in program was good. It was what I needed then. Uh, I didn't get that this was a spiritual program of recovery. I went to meetings. I had a sponsor. I, you know, I turned over my food every day. Um, I'd call my sponsor every day. God bless him. He, that guy, and I, I'm still friends with him today, and God bless him, because I would call that man like three times a day, and he would answer, and I would bitch and moan about my job, this crazy place that I worked at, and what they were doing, and da 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 and how they wouldn't do it the right way, and, you know, he would listen, or, or, or the crazy girlfriend that I was dating at the time, or whatever it was. I mean, it was just, ah. And, um, but I really didn't get that this was a spiritual program of recovery. Um, so that first year and a half, because I didn't get this, this was a spiritual program of recovery, I absolutely refused to weigh myself. I wouldn't do it. My sponsor kindly and lovingly just suggested, hey, just, you know, go see what the number is. Just go do it. It's not a big deal. It does not define you. Just do it. And I, I just would not do it. Um, the other thing I wouldn't do were the steps. Oh, I would do, you know, I'd do that little waltz. One, two, three. Step one, two, three. One, two, three, four. No, I think I'm ready for that. Um, and I just, I just wouldn't do it. Well, so this is two thousand spring two thousand seven is when I learned that my dad was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and when he told me, you know, just something inside me told me that this is what was going to kill him. I just knew it. Right when he told me, I just knew that he was going to die from this. Um, you know, I quickly moved back home to Florida. And that summer of 2007, really that entire summer I spent taking care of my dad. My mom was working. My brother worked nights. I'd go pick my dad up from the house, uh, take him to breakfast, take him to chemo, bring him home, um, sit with him. um, And, you know, every day, just every day for that entire summer. And, you know, I slowly but surely, I mean, I I was in my, you know, what you call crisis mode. I needed to take care of my dad. And that meant, you know, obviously moving back to Florida. That also meant stop calling my sponsor. That also meant I didn't go to any more meetings. That certainly meant I wasn't working the steps anymore. Um, And that, you know, my relapse began that summer. And relapse, it's not an event. It's a process. I mean, relapse is a slow, interesting, undercover, cunning, baffling, and powerful process. You, you don't see it coming. Um, I can look back now and say that it started August 2007 when I was moving into my new house because I was getting ready to go to law school. Um, a dream of my father's. Uh, he wanted me to go to law school because he was, at the time, had been a judge for almost 30 years. And, um, you know, we had planned on you know me going to law school and and he'd retire and we'd open a firm together and you know and it, and it really didn't matter what my what my dad did if my dad was a garbage man I would have gone to garbage man school I mean I, I loved my dad so much I just wanted to do whatever he was doing and you know I that that summer that August when I was finished moving into my house that lunch that I had you know I had it at, uh, at a fast food place but it was but what I ate was a grilled chicken wrap you know 
That's it. A grilled chicken wrap. Totally abstinent. But it was at a fast food place. Why am I eating at a fast food place? The place where I would go day in and day out when I was in the food. And that was August. My dad passed away December 15, 2007. And, um, you know, I was, I was able to kind of white knuckle it and hold everything together, you know, do all the arrangements. Um, my mother was just, you know, she was a total basket case. She could not make a decision to save her life. My brother was uh, MIA. Um, and like I said, my dad was a sitting judge. It was hard. I mean, it was like, it, it, oh, man, there were over a thousand people at the memorial service, and trying to plan something like that is ridiculous. Um, but somehow got through it, and then, you know, it, it's kind of blurry, you know? I mean, it's, it's Christmas. My dad's dead. My mother had left and went back to South Carolina, where she's from, with my brother. I was kind of home by myself. You know, I had some family in town that I went to on Christmas Day, but it was just really, I didn't, I wasn't suicidal, but I didn't want to live. And I know the distinction because when I was eight years old, I was suicidal. I wanted to kill myself. I literally was on my kitchen floor with a knife at eight years old, ready to slit my wrist. I was going to do it. Um, but, you know, I just, I just didn't want to live. And so then I started eating. I mean, I really, you know, kind of put my shoulder into it at this point, you know, um, just really started eating. And I'm, you know, I'm really good at it, too, because by May 2008, just five short months later, I ended up in the hospital with a thousand, no, it wasn't a thousand points. My blood sugar was actually 989, but, you know, 11 little points, it might as well be a thousand. Um, for those of you who don't know anything about diabetes, a normal blood sugar is between 70 and 140 or 160, something like that. And people lose limbs and eyesight at 500. Um, it was a miracle that I was still conscious. I mean, really, I should have been at least in a diabetic coma. I mean, come on, you know? I'd eaten that much. At least get the reward of a diabetic coma. Um, but I didn't. I, I was conscious through the whole three days in the hospital. It hurt like hell. I mean, I also had diabetic ketoacidosis, which, you know, it's, it's basically there's so much sugar in my blood that it's like, you know, kind of like when you, when you make the mistake of drinking, you know, having milk for breakfast and you go work out and after you work out you're kind of sore. Imagine that times a hundred. That's what it was like. I mean, it hurt so much. It hurt to lie in the hospital bed. Um, and you would think after that ordeal, three days in the hospital, getting my blood sugar down to somewhere closer to normal, which actually when they released me it was about 340, which was still astronomical. Um, I now had to inject myself with insulin every day, twice a day. And I had to take medication to help my body accept the insulin. That medication that I was on for a year made me severely, severely sick. Um, won't get too graphic. I'll let you use your imagination. But even after all that, I still had to eat. I was still eating 10 to 14,000 calories a day. Even after all that. That's how powerful this disease is. It didn't matter that I had made myself sick. And, and going to the hospital was the very first time I'd been to the hospital since I was born. Wrap your minds around that. I'd played a very violent sport for a lot of years. Somehow, yeah, I'd injured myself, but I never actually had to be admitted to the hospital. Eating put me into the hospital. Eating nearly killed me, very literally. If you don't believe this is a deadly disease, listen to this. It really almost killed me. 2008, I should have been dead. And, you know, I remember when they, when they released me from the hospital feeling so bad because 
my poor mother, you know, she's picking me up from the hospital. She just buried her husband, her partner, 42 years. And now her youngest son almost kills himself because he's eating. And then he gets released, and he keeps eating. <coughs> oh, man. This disease, it's powerful. Um, you know, I ate for the next two, two years, um, and I finally finished law school. And I was at crossroads in my life. How's that a crossroad? Um, I was finishing law school, something I really never wanted to do anyway. Um, my dad was dead, so there was no plan. I didn't know what to do with myself. I, at the time, and this was, this was May 2010, at the time I was actually, <laughs> I was dating this woman who, you know, thought I was going to get married to her um, until she broke up with me via email. Um, so that shows you kind of, you know, how, how much I was present in that relationship. <laughs> Ruth's fiancé breaks up with him via email, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, the whole relationship thing, it's wild, because it's like, for years I used to be like, oh my god, I don't understand, this is, I just can't find, like, a decent person, this and that, and I was like, yeah, um, I was the one picking them. <laughs> I was the one picking them. Hello? Um, yeah, I had to look at myself, but I wasn't willing to do that. So, all of that was going on. I was really demoralized. And, you know, you'll hear alcoholics say, you know, they, they had a moment of clarity in between drinking binges. And I definitely had a moment of clarity in that moment. I heard this little voice inside my head said, you've got to move back to Los Angeles and you've got to get back in the program. And, I, I mean, it was a tiny little voice. But it was the only thing at that point that made any sense. And I was like, okay. Now, in, in two weeks, I, I'd flown back. I'd found an apartment, found a place to live, moved back. I'd moved back so quickly that my friends had no idea where I was. And that I'd, that I'd already been living here for like a month. And my friends were like, wait a minute, where are you? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm in L.A. I'm like, whoa, whoa. Because I, you know, I had, you know, I'd finished law school. I'd done all that stuff. I'd set up. I had a job, you know. I had a really good job back home. Um, and I turned that down to move back here. No job. I just had a place to live. And it's interesting because I've been here a year now. Still, no job. <laughs> but I still have a place to live. Um, because that's how much recovery, that's how important recovery was to me, was that even in these trying economic times, I had no guarantee of finding a job. And after a year, I still have not found one. But the best part about it is that or I guess it is the best part, but I think the more interesting part to me is that as my bank account has gone down, my serenity has gone up. I mean, that's God's honest truth. And I, I definitely have times where, you know, I am in fear about, you know, the, my financial situation because I have never, ever, ever, ever been in a situation like this, ever. And I'm a pretty smart guy. I got a bunch of degrees. I'm, I'm a hard worker. You know, if anybody out there wants to give me a job, just let me know. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but... You know, that's my will. That is my will because I am not in faith that God has a plan for me, that God is taking care of me. Um, and, you know, it wasn't until I thought about, I was able to, well, the way I got myself out of that fear was talking with my sponsor, and he, and this was just really last week. You know, he said some things to me at 6.45 in the morning, which is when I call him every day, that I did not want to hear. You know, he was telling me, he's like, you're in fear. This is your will. This is not God's will. You need to trust in God. You need to shut your mouth. Trust in God. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Um, but then, you know, it was actually, it's funny, after that, after talking with him, I was driving to a meeting. 
and it hit me. You know, when I when I first came back in a program uh, a year ago, literally a year ago today was my first meeting back. I'd moved back to Los Angeles July 1st, 2010. Uh, my first meeting was July 2nd that morning. Um, so July 2nd is my, my absence date, mainly because my last, my last binge was in Las Cruces, New Mexico, July 1st at McDonald's. Yeah. Um, right off the 10. I know exactly. Exit, no, anyway. Um, <laughs> you know the crime. But, uh, you know, I thought then, I didn't know how much I weighed. Because remember, I hadn't weighed myself since 2000 or 1999. And my new sponsor was like, all right, well, you know, what I do is, as part of your food plan, you know, he does a commercial food program. His sponsor does it, and all his sponsees do it. So I'm like, okay. Um, So I went, and really it took me, because I'd gained so much weight, and I had no idea how much I weighed, you know, they have like a 400-pound scale. I didn't register. Okay. Uh, so the lady was like, all right, next week we'll, we'll bring, we have the bigger scale, it's okay, you know, don't worry about it. They brought the bigger scale next week, it was a 450 pound scale. Didn't register. Um, hmm. <laughs> and I'm, you know, at this point, you know, we're now on to week three, week four of, you know, mild exercise, and, and now my, I'm not binging anymore. I was probably losing five to eight pounds a week. Um, and it took me three or four weeks to register on a 450-pound scale at 449 pounds. So I don't know what my top weight is. I say 470, 475. It could have been 480. It could have been 490. I have no idea. But, you know, at that point, you know, might as well say 500 pounds, you know, half a ton. There you go. Um, yeah, that's what it was. And I remember thinking to myself, I, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I really don't know. I didn't know how I was going to get back to 400 pounds. Um, because, you know, at that size, and having been a former, you know, a former athlete, at that size, I, I, I couldn't hardly do anything. I had become the people that, in my mind, I've loathed. You know, those fat and lazy people who couldn't do the things, who, you know, I'd, I'd break into a sweat climbing just a flight of stairs, you know, that, the whole thing. Um, and I didn't know how I was going to do it. But this program taught me that, hey, you know what? You don't have to know how you're going to do it. All you have to do is surrender your will to God. And that's what I did on a daily basis. I could not think about how I was going to lose that kind of weight. And because I surrendered my will on a daily basis, and this was imperfect. It wasn't every single day. I wasn't, you know, meditating and levitating and om and all that good stuff. That certainly was not the case. Um, But slowly but surely things started to happen. Uh, things that happened over this year that I have no idea how they happened. Um, because it's God. I mean, you know, there are times where, <laughs> I love this part. In, in November, I was on the road um, back east for a solid month. And the week before Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving week, and the week after Thanksgiving, I'd lost 21 pounds. I did not exercise. I was back east. I had a good old southern Thanksgiving in South Carolina with my family with fried turkey and fried lettuce and fried air. Um, Oh, my God. Yeah, they do fry the air there. Um, But I lost 21 pounds, and that was not my doing. It really wasn't. I was, was, you know, I was calling my sponsor every day. I was praying and meditating. Um, I was, I was, you know, I, there weren't meetings I could get to because I was way off in the middle of the country. Um, I was of service, you know. I really focused on when I, especially Thanksgiving, because, you know, when I talked about my dad passing away, um, Thanksgiving 2009 was a really bad Thanksgiving because 
at that Thanksgiving, that's when I chose to tell my mother exactly what she did wrong when my dad was dying. And I let her know exactly how I felt. And it was a really ugly scene. I mean, I, I yelled and screamed at my mother. She was crying. She, I mean, it, it was really bad. It was horrible. It's something that I'm very ashamed of. Um, so Thanksgiving 2010, you know, my sponsor told me, he said, look, you know, you're not, at, at that point I was in the middle of my fourth step. And he said, do not try to make amends to your mother. You're not there yet. You're on step four. You don't know anything about amends yet. Don't do it. So I'm like, okay, well, what am I going to do, though? He's like, you're going to be of service. You're going to show up there. You're going to help your mother. And you're going to be a good host. And you're going to do a lot of things to be of service to your mother. And I was. I showed up. And, you know, we, my mom has a house there, and after our big things, we have a, a very large family. My mom has seven brothers and sisters, and I've got 12 first cousins and 20 second cousins. It's craziness. And, you know, after Thanksgiving dinner, I told my mom, I'll take the younger cousins over to our house, and I'll keep them. There's about 15 of them. So I kept them, and I made them dinner. And, and it was interesting, because I made them dinner at 7 o'clock, and, and we had our dinner. And um, then from 7 o'clock to 11 o'clock, I proceeded to watch these 15 kids from ages 11 to 21, like, eat candy bars and cookies and this and that and da-da-da-da. And then they come up to me at 11, and they're like, hey, we're hungry. Can we have pizza? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Being a good head. So in this tiny little town, I drive at 11 o'clock at night up to Pizza Hut and pick up, like, two of the biggest pizzas you've ever seen in your life. I think they're, like, five-foot pizzas or something. Driving back to the house. It's just me and the pizzas in the car. In the middle of the night. Mm. Um, yeah. Talk about God doing for you what you can't do for yourself. I just remembered in that instance smelling the pizza in the car. I said, well, you know, it's not my food. It wasn't. I had my dinner at 7 o'clock. Didn't matter it was five hours later. Didn't matter if the pizza smelled really good. It wasn't mine. So I brought it to the kids. They ate it. They had a good time and, you know, whatever. Um, so fast forward to now, you know, I... I just just finished, you know, the 12 steps this week. And um, you know, talk about making amends was really powerful because it connects to the last story I just told. You know, I, I, when, I, when I went through my inventory and I had my list of amends to make, really the majority of my amends were to my mother and my brother and my father. And, you know, doing my dad was, was hard because he, he had passed away just over well, three and a half years ago. But I wrote him a letter and I went to where we spread his ashes, and I read that letter to him. And I, you know, <laughs> I was reading and crying and reading and talking and crying. And, and I, I'm not a crier. I'm, I'm really not. It's not because I don't want to be. It's just I, I'm a naturally happy person. And it takes a, really, it takes a lot to get me to, to cry. And here I was standing on this public beach with people in the middle of the day. They're like, oh, my God, why is this guy crying and talking to himself? Um, yeah, yeah. But, um, but it, was, it was a great experience. You know, I, I left it all there. You know, all the hurt and anger and resentment. And, and the thing that I regretted the most was that I never really told my dad that I loved him while he was alive. And that, that's hard for me. But... I also don't beat myself up about that because my father never modeled that to me. We didn't have that kind of relationship. Um, made amends to my brother. He actually surprised, he surprised me because you know, he told me that one of the things, the thing that he thought would hold me back the most was my anger. Because I have, I have anger and rage like my dad. Um, and it's, it's funny because 
you know, my friends here in Los Angeles, like 90, 99% of my friends here in the program, and, and they really didn't know Bitter Bob back in the day, um, which is a nickname that my friends at home gave me. They're like, ah, here comes Bitter Bob. And it wasn't always a thing. Like, they would just see that turn in me. They would see that turn in me, and they'd be like, oh, here we go. And I, I honest to God, most of the time I was not happy unless I was bitching about something. You know, I mean, just, oh, the sun's shining today. Ugh. You know, I mean, it was just, yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, my mom I made amends to my mother, and this was the scariest part because my my sponsor is like an old school AA sponsor, been in AA for almost twenty years, and, and you know he had me do my my ninth step, my amends, the old school way where you know I had to write everything out that I was going to say. I had to I had to ask you know is there anything that I left out, and I had to ask what can I do to make it right. And those two questions were really scary for me to ask my mother because this was a woman who, through my own insane expectations of her, in my mind, oh my God, the horrible things that I did to this woman. And so, <laughs> what I said, did I leave anything out? Oh God, she could have listed a whole laundry list of things. And, but when I asked her what I could do to make it right, she really surprised me. Um, she told me that well, since my mother had gotten married uh, a year, almost a year ago in August, and you know, this program taught me that no matter what's going on, you just suit up and show up. You just act as if. So when my mother told me <laughs> on July 27th that she was getting married on August 21st, that took a second. I mean, this is, this is 20, 25 days absent at this point. I took a second, I paused. And I realized in that moment, and this was God speaking to me, this is not about me. This is about her and her happiness. And I told her, I said, Mom, I'm happy for you. Congratulations. Which really shocked her, because like I said, I can be bitter Bob. And she literally waited. I was the last person in the family she told, because she was so afraid of what I was going to say and do. Um, But I supported my mother, even though I really didn't feel like it. Even though at the reception, when I gave the toast, I felt as if everybody was forgetting about my father. And it felt like someone was tearing my heart out with a spoon. But you know what? I gave the toast. And I remember at the reception they had, um, <laughs> I remember the menu, of course, because we're composed of readers. They had some sort of rubber chicken, some sort of string beans, this and that. And had this beautiful looking, like, five cheese potato casserole. It's in my abstinence. But in that moment I saw that potato casserole and I said, if I eat this, it's going to make me crazy. And I'm going to say something that I'm going to regret the rest of my life. So I didn't need it. I stayed away from it. And I got up there and I made that toast. And <laughs> it's funny because like a lot of people in my family, that toast actually helped a lot of people in my family except my mother's new husband. I had no idea. I was just showing up like this program teaches me. So when I made amends to my mother, she told me that all the things that I had done this year to support her in her new marriage was everything she could have ever hoped and wished for. Um... So, I didn't know it, but I was making a living amends. Um, you know, I'll close with this. If you don't get anything from this, get this. This is a spiritual program of recovery. It's not about, you know, it's not about the weight. Yeah, I lost 130 pounds over this year. But it pales in comparison to, I was talking to my mother the other day on the phone, and she annoyed me a little bit. I didn't get angry at her. Yeah, you know, she does. But 
I tell my mother I love her today. I'm 32 years old. I never did that before. Ever. Ever. I mean, I'm just so happy that I had the opportunity to repair that relationship because I didn't have that opportunity with my dad. I, I didn't have it, you know. Um, and really, you know, I had a chance, but I was in the food. I wasn't all that. I was eating. I couldn't do it. I knew it was dying, and I could not do it. Um, so this is a spiritual program of recovery. If you really, really work the first three steps, and you turn your life and your will over to the power of God, things that you just never could dream of will happen. And for me, it's little things. Um, <laughs> it's little things like, you know, I'm 32, and this year is the first year I've ever gone to a store and bought clothes smaller than the clothes I was wearing when I walked in. Think about that. For 32 years, I just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Not smaller. Yeah, there were times I'd lose like 40 pounds. Oh, yeah, whatever. I'd gain that after lunch. Um, you know, I mean, it's the little things like that. The willingness to do sit-ups, my God. My, all my coaches, high school, college, need to do some sit-ups. Need to do some sit-ups. 32. God's given me the willingness to do some sit-ups. Um... It's the little things for me. Um, so, yeah. This program works if you work it. All you have to do is clean house and trust in God and work with others. Thank you. I believe we have some time left. It's now time for the question and answer portion of our series. Yes. Thanks, Justin, for your Mm, great question. On a daily basis, how do I work my spiritual program? I um, I get up most days 5.45, 6 a.m. because my, my call to my sponsors is at 6.45. Uh, first thing I do is, is pray and meditate. I start off with a meditation where I, you know, I breathe in and I breathe out. And, you know, I like to say, like, go like God and, and just do that. And I, I really, it's interesting because when I, I get to that place where when I feel I'm connected, it's like I explode into a million particles of light, and I'm like one with the universe. I'm just moving through the universe. It does not happen on a daily basis. I mean, there are some days where it's like, I don't want to do that, and I say the prayer, and I'm like, all right, you know, whatever. Um, but, I, but I still try to do it every day. The days that I don't do it, really, really, really bad things happen. Um, can you talk about how you work Step 7 and how you continue to work it? Mm, step 7. That's a great question, too. Um, I mentioned the job thing. Like I said, I, I, I got a big ego. You know? um, I think that I am the best thing since sliced bread. And <laughs> I can't for the life of me understand why nobody wants to hire me and give me a job. Um, but every day I pray to God and I ask Him, please, God, Please, God, help me be humble today. Remind me that I am just one among many. I am a worker among workers. Um, and, and just please humble. I mean, because it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Because, and it works. You know, because it, I find myself, I mean, just today, I, I, a guy cut me off in traffic. And I was like, ah. And I was like, well, you know what? Maybe he's got someplace to go. 
where am I going? Why do I need to, you know, am I in that big hurry? Actually, not really. I'm just going to the store to get my lunch. Okay. I can be 30 seconds later to that. Thank you. Um, could you tell us about, about the sort of the movement for whatever, however you were brought up in relation to God and religion and spirituality, mm-hmm. and the transformation, and, or how you brought that into mm-hmm. the program and how you know what is now? Sure. Uh, the question was, how, how do I reconcile my religious beliefs when I was a child with my program? Today, I was raised in the United Methodist Church, um, you know, and it, it's interesting because even as a young child, I had a real problem with a God who was all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful, but if you didn't pray to his son, you're going straight to hell. And I was like, whoa, what? That, that doesn't, what? That doesn't make sense to me. Um, and for people who believe that, that's great. So for me in this program, this program gave me the freedom and the acceptance to know that the beliefs that I had as a child were authentic. And it, it gave them, you know, almost, it gave them, it gave, this program gave that power. Because for a long time I really felt like, am I the only one? Am I some sort of weirdo that doesn't think that God is a mean, vengeful God? Like, what? You know, so, it, it really, this program helped me, um, you know, kind of voice what was what had been there for a while and, and, and to access it because the other thing was you know my relationship with God before was yes God is all powerful he can do everything he's awesome he can do everything except get into my food oh yeah yeah and that's that was the big change this year um, <laughs> when I asked my current sponsor to be my sponsor the first thing he said he was like yeah I'll be your sponsor he's like why don't you just think about your relationship with sugar and white flour? What? I don't know. What are you talking? I don't. You know what? And I tell you what. The next day, um, I was eating at this place, and a fellow had come in from the meeting afterwards, and you know we're sitting there talking because she was picking up her dinner to go, and um, we were talking, and, and then she goes picks up her dinner and she goes work, and it wasn't until the third bite that I didn't realize that I didn't remember the first two bites of this pasta thing that I was eating and that I had waited for that fellow to leave so I could eat it. And I was like, ah, yeah, okay. Sugar and flour, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I had to let that go. Um, and so I finally let God into my food. And I'm getting the big hook. So <laughs> that's my cue. Thank you so very much for letting me be here.